Morning. Ah, I keep losing my paper. Look at that. Well, how's your morning going? I'm just kidding. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, excited that you're here this morning. Uh, hey, this morning we're going to talk about adoption. Uh, not earthly adoption, but spiritual adoption, how our Heavenly Father adopts us. Now, there are actually a lot of interesting parallels between the two, and we'll talk about that as well. Uh, years ago, I was on a, a missions trip in Haiti, and I served at an orphanage for a week. In fact, there's a few of you in this room that were on that trip, and it's the only time I've ever done missions work in an orphanage. And you know what? It was really hard. Uh, I, I vividly remember when we got there, they opened up the gates of the orphanage, and there's 30 or 40 kids coming, and you kind of expect like them to be like, Wah! right? And no one even smiled. In fact, it took two days for them to open up to us and begin to just smile and trust us. And actually, one of the weirdest facts of that week was we were there for seven days. There's 30 or 40 kids. A lot of them are little. We only heard one kid cry in seven days once because they had just learned there's 30, 40 kids. There's maybe one or two adults in the whole orphanage. They had learned that crying accomplishes nothing. No one comforts them. And so they had learned literally to just stop crying. That's how difficult their life was. And for most of these kids, their only hope was adoption. That they would be plucked out of that environment, given a new home, a new family, a new name, a new environment, a new everything. And see, for the human being, our condition spiritually is the same, actually. We need to be spiritually Adopted. So we're going to talk about that this morning as we kind of progress. We are right now in the middle of a six-week series called God Never Fails, where we're just walking verse by verse through Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans is a letter in the Bible. It's written by a man named the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was writing to the Romans, the people of Rome, the early Christians of Rome, about 25 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection. So as we continue in that book... This morning, let's open up God's Word together. Let's open up the Bible. So there is a Bible under the chair in front of you. So everybody grab a Bible. Um, we're going to be on page 772. If you don't have a Bible and you've never actually read it yourself to see what it says, this is our gift to you. Take this with you today. There's a little Bible reading plan in there that will show you where to start in the Bible. We would love it if you did that. Okay, so Romans chapter 8, page 772. So you're going to look for that big number 8. That's the chapter. And then I want you to actually find the little number 15. That's verse 15. Uh, we're doing 12 through 17 today, but verse 15 is kind of the central point of the passage. So we're going to start there. And what I actually want you to do, we do this a lot here. And if you're new around here, maybe you haven't heard this yet. I want you to, we have your Bible open. I want you to just keep it open during this whole message, because we're not just going to look at a verse and then I'm going to share my opinion for 30 minutes. We're going to read through and study the Bible. So you're going to want to have it open in front of you. Okay, here's what verse 15 says. Paul writes, the spirit you received as Christians does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, this is the core of what we're going to talk about today. So if you were here last week, we talked about that when you receive Jesus Christ in as your Savior, you make him the leader of your life, that then the Holy Spirit, who is also God, part of the Trinity, comes into your life. And kind of what this is saying is when the Holy Spirit comes in, it's like he comes in with adoption papers. And by your faith, you are adopted into God's family. 
That's incredible, by the way. And I'm going to say a little bit more about this verse in a little bit. But we've got to start here because what we're going to see as we study this next section in Romans chapter 8 is really three ways that understanding that Christians are adopted by God ought to actually really change the way that you live. Okay, so now that you kind of know where we're going, what's in store, let's go back to the beginning of our section here. So we're going to be in verse 12, uh, and I'm just going to do 12 and 13 right now. Here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, so that's sin, so you could read it, put to death sin, you will live. Now, again, I realize some of you may be visiting for the first time today, but this is a bit of a continuation from where we were last week, and he's kind of beginning to transition into a new section. He's talking about the flesh and the spirit. Now, the flesh, whenever you see that word in the New Testament, it's talking about our selfish, our sinful bias, where we always naturally, without God, want to do the selfish thing, the wrong thing first. And we said, That shows up in a whole bunch of different ways, right? It may be self-will to do our own thing, self-glory, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, you name it. It's just self, 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 self. That's the flesh. And we talked about how that leads to nowhere good. Even right there, you see verse 13, Paul says it again. He says, if you live this way, you will die. It's not going to work out for you. And then he reminds you in verse 12, there is that word he says, we have an obligation, but your obligation is not to the flesh. It's not. What do you owe the flesh? What do you owe that selfish desire in you? You owe it nothing. Your whole life, it has over-promised and under-delivered. Has it not? Your whole life, it said, I know what's going to make you happy. I've got an idea. All it does is sell you that you're going to get happiness and joy and peace, but instead you get despair and death. And so we have no obligation to follow our flesh, if you really think about it. But we do have an obligation to the Spirit because God has set us free from the condemnation that we deserved. And so our obligation is to God, is to trust Him, is to live for God. But you can't actually live for God just by trying harder. In other words, you cannot conquer the flesh by relying on the flesh. Does that make sense? It's kind of like circular reasoning. It's not, it's not going to work. So how does verse 13 say to do it? Look at towards the end. It says, put to death the misdeeds of the body, sin. So you want to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's a good thing to remember in the Christian walk. Okay, so you want to put to death sin and how do you do it? What does it say? By what? By the spirit. You put to death sin by the spirit. With God's help, that's how you do it. One of the easiest ways to see this is if you think about addiction, and you think about addiction of recovery programs, right? Every recovery program in America, doesn't matter what the addiction is for, is based on the 12 steps of recovery. Well, step one of the 12 steps is we admitted that we were, anybody know it? Powerless, right? In other words, in our flesh, we have no ability to put to death this sin in our life. We're just going to keep turning to alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever it is. We have no power. But step two says we came to believe that a power greater than us, that God, 
could restore us, that he has the power to put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's, ba- it's basically walking through Romans 8. Isn't that amazing? That's what we read in the scriptures. Now, the problem for most of us is we go, I get that. You know, you look at the alcoholic and their life is just a mess, and they, they, they're not do it on their own. They need God. But then we think about ourselves. We're like, but listen, I can figure this out. I got this. I'll fix my gossiping problem. I'll fix my, but it's, it's the, we're in the same condition. No matter what your issue is, you are powerless. Your flesh is powerless to put it to death, to stop it. You need the power of God. And see, if you recognize that God is your father who adopted you, you will remember that he has given you his spirit to fight your battles. And that's really kind of the first point I want you to see this morning. That, here we go. If I understand that I've been adopted as a Christian by my Father in heaven, then I won't fight in my own strength. If you're a Christian, spiritually, you're not an orphan anymore. You've been adopted. You have a Father who will fight for you. Uh, Okay, it's like this. Let's say there is a, a good earthly father, and he adopts a child from a difficult orphanage. And let's say that orphan comes into their house in America, but every day the orphan sneaks out to try and steal food from the neighbors in the lakes of Blaine or Legacy Creek or whatever, right? Wherever they live. And every day they walk down into people's garbage cans and they're looking for clothes that they can get. And they're trying to solve all their own problems. What would that good adopted father do? Well, he would sit down that new child in his family and he would say, my child, I will do this for you now. You don't have to fight anymore. I will figure this out. And I can do it way better than you can. Let me do it. See, as a Christian, it is critical that you begin to move your mindset of who you are from orphan to adopted. Because you're adopted by God, your Father. If you can remember that, you will be living in such a greater sense of peace and joy because, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the king. But if you don't, if you keep living in this sort of spiritual orphan mindset, you're going to be stuck in this false reality of I got to fix everything myself. But you cannot put to death the misdeeds of the body by yourself. You do it by the spirit. The way you conquer sin is by asking for God to help you. I know you're an American and you're so used to doing everything on your own, but you don't have to fight by yourself anymore. Believers, you have this power in God who will fight with you, for you. It reminds me of one of my favorite Matt Chandler quotes. Matt Chandler's a pastor in Texas. He, he says, fighting sin without the spirit is like open hand slapping a bear it won't go well for you. It doesn't work, but that's how we try and solve all of our problems. Rely on God. Okay, let's keep reading in God's word, and we're going to see the next point. So let's do 14 and 15 now. Paul says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So really what Paul's contrasting here is living in fear versus living as an adopted child. 
And that brings us to the second biblical understanding you want to have as a Christian, and that is this. If I understand that I've been adopted, then number one, I won't fight in my own strength, and number two, I will see God as my father. Now, intellectually, most of you in this room, if I asked you like, hey, is God your father? You can say, oh yes, theologically, that's true. That's great. That's not that hard to say that, but actually living it out, seeing God, thinking about God as your father is a lot more difficult. See, a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, even a lot of Christians, truly, in reality, live in fear, as Paul was talking about. And they live in fear precisely because they are not living out this biblical truth of adoption from Romans chapter 8. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, you've been adopted into the king's family. It's an amazing concept. It's actually way more amazing than you might even think because maybe it just sounds familiar to you. But if you kind of go back in time and you think about uh, pagan religions... You think, think like the ancient Egyptians or the Aztecs or something. And, and really, this is true even still of a lot of religions around the world today. People in those religions, they served God out of fear, right? Fear that if they did the wrong thing, then karma would come and get them. Or you think of like the Aztecs, for instance. They fear that if they don't serve their God or gods in the right way, then they won't send rain upon them. The attitude towards God was service out of fear. And the idea that there was a God that would even consider elevating humans to be a part of his family was a completely foreign concept to them. But the real God, the God of the Bible, says, I love you so much that I want you in my family and I want to treat you like my child. This is rich. See, it's not even just that God has purchased your freedom from slavery, from that evil taskmaster, the flesh, and now he's allowed you to be a servant in his house. The teaching of scripture is actually, it's richer than that. And this is really important because there are many of you in this room that you live as if that's the only metaphor for how you relate to God. You're the servant. He's the master. The Bible doesn't just teach that by your faith in Jesus, you are positionally forgiven, that your status has changed, that you now serve God instead of the flesh. That's true. And honestly, if that were only the news, if it was only that, I would still go for it. But you're not just a servant. It's richer than that. God takes it further than that. He brings you into his house, not just as a servant, but as an adopted child. And it's not even that he's going, okay, you're in my family now, so now I have some positive vibes towards you. What Paul is saying in verse 15, if you look towards the end of verse 15, he says that when you understand his real love for you, you will cry, what does it say? Abba. Okay, what is Abba? Abba is an Aramaic word. Jesus, when he was on earth, actually spoke the language Aramaic. And Abba is Aramaic for Papa, Daddy. Okay, well, no slave or servant calls the master Papa, right? You, you, you can only relate to him in that way if you 
have a deep, fond, loving relation to him as a child, right? What's kind of interesting here is the word Abba, it's only used three times in the Bible, right here, Romans 8. Paul uses it again basically in the exact same way in Galatians. And the other time that it's used in Scripture is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, God's son, is talking to his father about his impending death the next day, and he cries out to him, Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father, and pours out his heart. And what Paul is saying here in God's word is that you, because you're an adopted child, can relate to God like the Son of God Jesus related to his Father. Isn't that amazing? That's the teaching of the word. But I think the question for us is, do you relate to God like that? Like if we were to draw a continuum, and on one side of the continuum was this other contrast that Paul is using, living in fear as a servant. Where, let's say this side of the continuum is you look to God, but you're always thinking, oh, I got to do better, and I got to be a better person, I got to stop making mistakes, because I got to please you, and I got to earn your love, and you're not happy with me, I really messed up again last night. And are you, is that how you relate to God, or are you on the other end of the continuum, where you wake up in the morning and you say, Good morning, Papa. I just love you, Father, Daddy, for just what you're doing in my life. Where are you on that continuum? I read a story uh, really recently, actually, about a family that adopted this girl from a really difficult orphanage in a difficult country. And they eventually brought her home to America in their house. And one of the things they told her in her first couple of days is, hey, you know, they had a couple other kids. And they said, as a, as a member of this family, one of the expectations we have for you is that you clean your room every day, that you, you keep a clean room. Well, when this girl heard this, she just fixated on that. And she saw it as a way she could earn her family's love. I mean, that was her kind of framework for life that she had picked up in the orphanage. I mean, she was used to, as Paul says, she was used to living in fear and she thought, I can earn acceptance by obeying this one thing. And so every morning, her parents would come into her room, and she had already woken up early, and her room would be just immaculate, spotless. And she would sit on the edge of her bed, and she would say, my room is clean. Can I stay? Do you love me? I'm just breaking her adoptive parents' heart, Right? Well, eventually, this little girl learns that even when she's not perfect, even when she royally messes up, that her parents are always going to love her because she's in their family now. So I would ask you the question, how is it that you look at God? Do you look at God as like, do you love me now? Can I stay now? Or do you look at him as you're a child of the king? Have you moved your spiritual mindset from orphan to adopted? Where you can say, Father, you are my father. I'm adopted. And you will always be with me. You know, I'll tell you that that is not an easy thing to do. You're probably not going to walk out of here and tomorrow just flip the switch on that. That, that. That's the kind of thing I think spiritually that takes a lifetime to work on. We're always sort of moving backwards into this old orphan framework. 
But my prayer for you is that every week of your life that you are taking steps to grow deeper in your understanding of God, not as this taskmaster that you must in fear please, but as your father, as your Abba father. And don't hear me wrong. This is not to like write off holy living. I'm not preaching some gospel that says, hey, God just loves you as your father and you just do whatever you want to do and he loves you. That's not what we preach here. Hang out here for a couple of weeks. I guarantee you're not going to hear that. And we just read, put to death the misdeeds of your body. Here's what I'm saying. And this is the actual teaching of the New Testament when you really study it. Holy and godly living, which is really important. Holy and godly living has to flow out of a heart that is already delighted with God's love. Holy and godly living cannot flow out of a heart that's just trying to please God and earn his love and fear. Does that make sense? And that's why it's so important that we understand our relationship to him and who we are in accordance to his word first. Okay, that's incredible news, but the news actually gets even better. And I just think the Bible's description of God's beautiful love, it's just so beautiful when you read it through and you study it like this. Okay, let's keep going now. Verses 16 and 17. Paul says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, we're going to talk about that suffering piece a bit more in, in house groups this week. But I want to focus on the glory piece this morning because Paul makes this interesting uh, philosophical argument. He says, okay, well, if we're adopted, if we are his children, then it kind of stands to reason that we are his heirs. And that brings us to the third kind of mindset shift that you want to have when you're moving from orphan to adopted, and that's this. Number three, if I understand that I've been adopted, then I won't fight in my own strength. I will see God as my father And I will look forward to my inheritance with my father. Maybe that sounds like, well, that feels kind of greedy. That's what the word just told us, okay? This is incredible. As a Christian, you have an inheritance. An inheritance. You're an heir. As a follower of Jesus, you are an heir to God's life, his love, his power, his goodness. And some of that is present, right? You can experience it right now. And some of it is future. And that's what's so great if you, if you look forward to eternity with God. I mean, think of like what was the best day of your life. Maybe it was when a, a child was born or some key moment in your life. You take those moments, those emotions, that, that one moment of your life, that experience you had, that's not even one one millionth of the joy you'll experience in your inheritance in your father's house and your father's joy for all of eternity. Isn't that amazing? That's what you have coming for you as an adopted child, an heir of God. And you're not an heir because of your natural descent. It's not because of your family tree, although a lot of people in this country think that way. They think, well, the reason I am going to have an inheritance, the reason I'm going to heaven, is because I was baptized uh, Catholic as a baby. Or I was confirmed Lutheran in ninth grade. Or my grandmother used to bring me to the Baptist church. You don't become an heir that way. It's not on your family tree. And you don't become an heir because you're a servant that did a bunch of good things and you earned your way into the inheritance. The only way that you're an heir is by God's grace. It's by nothing you've done besides receive him in as your father. Ephesians 2, 
Paul says it's not by grace, or not by grace, it is by grace. It's not by works that you've been saved, right? But by grace that he adopts us into his family. And so while the rest of the world around us experiences so much fear, and is there not a lot of fear out there in our culture right now? It is just everywhere, right? It's pervasive. Fear, fear, fear. We're so fearful about what's happening in this country, what's happening in this world, what's happening in our culture, even in our own lives. There's so much fear. But the Christian, because of what we're reading in God's word, the Christian does not and actually should not walk in fear of the future. No, the Christian is to rest in the deep truth that they are heirs of God. And all that he has for them as his adopted children. And that is incredible news. God never fails. What have I to fear? The king of kings is my adopted father. What have I to fear? If you're a follower of Christ, you're not an orphan. It's hard sometimes even talking about orphans. It's so difficult. Some of you probably need to seek the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's leading you to even adopt. But God uses this language, and that's why we use it. But if you're an orphan, fear often grows as you get older. Because you realize that one day I'm going to be 18, and I won't even have the orphanage to stay at. And then what will I do? There is no future. There is no inheritance for me to walk into. But spiritually, the Christian has moved from orphan to adopted. And so what have you to fear? Why live like an orphan? You need to lift your eyes up off all of these horizontal issues that are just causing so much fear in your life. And you need to look up to your adopted father again. Look up to his goodness, his power. Look up to what he has promised you. What have you to fear? And look at the, this third point. It's so powerful because, okay, what's even the wor- If you're really fearful about something, what's even the worst case scenario for you? Worst, worst, worst case scenario in your life. You still can answer that biblically and not be in fear. As my hero Charles Spurgeon used to always say, he would say, even if I should fall and die, then as a Christian, sudden death is sudden glory. What have I to fear? And see, as we speak of these glorious promises from God, for some of you in this room, the most pressing question is actually, have you actually been adopted into God's family? Because some of you have not. And it doesn't matter that you grew up in the church or you try and do good things or you may have been hanging around the church lately because we just said that's not how you become an heir. It's not through your family tree. It's not through being good. The truth is, God loves you so much, which I hope you're hearing, that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And when Jesus is dying on the cross, he's dying for your sins. He's dying in your place. He's taking the punishment for what you deserved. And the central teaching of Christianity is when you believe in that truly from your heart and you say, I believe that you died for my sins. What happens is God takes the punishment off of you and he puts it on his son, Jesus, on the cross. And you can be forgiven, but it's deeper than that, right? It's richer. That's what we've been talking about. It's not just that you're forgiven. He adopts you into his family. 
and you're not an orphan, and you can belong, and you can know the Father's love, and it will absolutely change your life, and he gives you this incredible inheritance along with it. Pretty amazing. That is the offer in front of every single human being. Do you want to be a part of God's family? Or do you not? Do you want to continue to live like an orphan on your own and try and figure it out on your own? And, and many people, most people even refuse it. And they say, you know what? I don't want to submit and surrender my life to the Father. I would prefer to do it on my own. But if you do it on your own, then you pay the consequences for your sin in all of eternity. Will you accept this incredible offer? This incredible offer to let God adopt you into his family. I want to give you that opportunity even right now. Let's just, just for 30 seconds or a minute, would you just close your eyes? Maybe even bow your head. If you're here, maybe you've been hanging out here the last couple of weeks or maybe you've been here for a few months or maybe it's even your first time today and you're hearing the truth of the Bible as we read it, that God loves you so much he wants you in his family. And all you have to do is decide to accept that gift and come in. If that's you and you want to be forgiven, you want to come into his family to belong, to know the Father's love, and you've never made this decision before to become his follower, to be forgiven. As a way to sort of mark this moment in your life of surrender, say, yeah, let me in. I want to come into your family. I want to know you as father. What I want you to do is just to raise your hand up in the air. Say, yeah, that's me. I want to be forgiven right now. I want to come into your family. Amen. Anyone else? Just raise your, raise your hand up if that's you. That's up high so I can see it so I know. All right. Amen. Anyone else? You've never made this decision before, but you just say, I've been doing this on my own. I've, I've got to follow you, Jesus. I want to become your follower. I want to be forgiven, not an orphan. All right. Amen. Okay. For those of you that raise your hands in this room to make this decision, to turn your life over to him, what I want to do is I want to pray with you. The Bible says actually two chapters later in Romans 10 that in this key moment of your life that we believe in our hearts, what you're doing, but you confess with your mouth. And so I'm just going to say a prayer. And what I want you to do is just repeat after me, whether you just believe this or you've believed this for 60 years of your life. I'll pray, and I just want you to repeat this out loud from your heart after me. Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen. As everyone still has their eyes closed, for the number of you in this room that raised your hand, you just said, yeah, I want to turn my life over to Jesus, be a part of his family. What I want to do now is to help you in that process. So I believe that that decision right there is the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. It's that key. And so when you make a decision that key, you want to know 
what do I do next? Like, what's the next step? And we want to help you with that and give you some resources to get started on that. So here's what we're going to do. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And for the number of you that have your hands raised, what I want you to do is just to slide out of your seat, go into the lobby. There's a number of you that raised your hands, so you'll go out together with some follow-up team members that will go out there with you, so you're not going to be walking by yourself. Uh, Our follow-up team members will spot you right away. I'm going to come out there as well, and then we're just going to talk to you for a couple minutes on what do you do next. This is so key that you know, okay, what do I do? And then you'll be able to come back in the service in a couple minutes. But it's so key so that you know, this is what I want to do, and now you walk it out, okay? So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, you can go out. And in church, if you had a friend or a family member that's with you that raised their hand, I want you to come out there with them as well. So I will pray, and as I pray, for the number of you that said, you can actually go right now. All right, ready, go. Lord, thank you so much that you're doing this every week. We thank you that you look at us has messed, you see us, we're messed up, God. And still you look at us and you say, that's the one I want in my family. We thank you for your grace and your love. And now we just come to you, we run to you as our father. And we worship you as a good, loving father. In your name we pray. Amen.